Um, it's good to have Pastor back. And uh, he was gone all week. That's just not, not normal. And then this week, Pastor Nick is with his mom, kind of in the St. Louis area, helping her out, helping his whole family. Their kids were on, on spring break, so that worked out well. So it's kind of strange. You know, we're missing you all week. Now we're missing Nick all week. And so it's kind of strange around the office, but <laughs> more peaceful. Well, there's more food in the, you know, at lunch, but no, I'm kidding. Uh, you got to watch Pastor Nick. He's the one, the skinniest one of all of us, and that man can eat like you would not believe. Uh, if you use that Version Bible app, I encourage you to do that. I encourage you to use it. If, um, if you like a different one, that's fine. I'm not going to argue with you because there's many fine tools out there for reading your, your Bible, but I just really enjoy that, and I enjoy, it's got so much flexibility. Um, I really... I've had a lot of fun with the different versions that are available, some that I, you know, you, for years and years, I know I, I grew up with King James, you know, and quoting that as a kid in kids' church, and then the Living Bible came out, then the NIV, and so I used the NIV almost exclusively for most of my life, and then just in the last couple years, kind of transitioned to the New Living Translation a lot. And then I think I mentioned a few weeks ago, for my Bible reading these last few months, I've, I'm doing all in the message, and... Um, it's, it's just, it's, a, it's fun to get new insights into the Word. Someone was reminding me too, and I know Eunice really likes, and Pastor does too, but Eunice has that Phillips translation with her a lot, and that is a great, fun, older translation, but really, really contemporary. It's fun to read. So having said all that, if you want to follow along, there is a menu in your Version Bible app. All you have to do is go to the live, It'll say, and you say search for a live event, and ours should pop up first. And when it does, <clears throat> it should say this. No miss, no mess, no ministry. I, uh, how many of you, is anybody else here a paper boy? I guess you'd have to be a boy, probably, but um, I, st- I, I grew up in San Diego, and uh, in my hometown of Chula Vista, we had the San Diego Tribune, and then we had the Chula Vista paper, and it was delivered two days a week, and so I delivered the Chula Vista, it was, a, it was the Chula Vista Star, Two days a week, and the way that paper worked is, um, they would they would deliver them, you know, like at three or four in the morning, and I would get up on those two days a week, at that time, and I would go out, you know, and pull those papers into my garage, and then I had to fold them with the inserts. So I had to put the inserts in, fold them, rubber band them, and then put them into these. Um, I'm not sure what you even call these these canvas bags that that I could wear over my shoulder. So I'd had a big compartment in the front and in the back. So I had two of those full because then I had a rack on the back of my bike. So I had, I had saddlebags basically on the side of the bike and then these on the front and back. And that was my paper route. And I would do that every morning before school. Well, not every morning, two days a week. And uh, that was my first job where I got a checking account and I got paid and made deposits. And that was a lot of fun. I really, really enjoyed it. Now, I, what I didn't enjoy, and it's still to this day, if I have to be somewhere like tomorrow for men's breakfast, invite you men again. Boy, it's really sexist today. Paper boys and men's breakfast. But we do breakfast if you're interested, at 5.30 over at Corner Cafe, and uh, it is a lot of fun. It's a, it's a great time to share with guys and read through the scriptures, and, and, um, <clears throat> but a lot of those mornings, I would wake up like every half hour and check my clock, because I couldn't miss it, and I never did, but you know, the, just the thought of, what if I didn't get up on time? And so I had a couple other jobs, you know, I had a little uh, gardening business, but then there was this job I had, my church, and it was, I guess it was, a, it was about this size of con- a auditorium maybe, and, and um, 
the church hosted a school, and then it also had Sunday school. And then I got a job cleaning the church. And so what my main job was is I had to come in on the weekend and get it all ready for church from school. Does that make sense? And so I had to reset the room. Some rooms I had to, had to t- take all the chairs out, had to sweep, mop, you know, do all that, then put everything back up. And I remember once I was, the, my boss, I had a guy that worked, that was, he was the real guy there, and I just worked for him. But I remember one time I was, I was we came into a room, and it was a mess. And I, I just thought, well, this is going to take a while. And he looked at me, and he says, you know what this means? And I said, what? He goes, there's been ministry happening in here. And I said, okay. And he goes, no, no, you don't, you don't understand. No mess, no ministry. I, I still didn't get it. <laughs> you know, I, just, I just wanted to get to work because I wanted to be somewhere else. You know, I was trying to get to work. You know, and and uh, I, I don't even remember how old I was. I mean, I, I had to ride my bike to that too, so I, I, I don't know how old I was, but somewhere in there, middle school years or whatever. And, but I thought about that for many years because he said that a lot. Anytime we come into a room and it was especially messy, he'd say, ministry's been happening here, I can tell. And then he'd say, no mess, no ministry. Now, I didn't appreciate that till many years later because I realized that he wasn't bent out of shape because people made a mess. He liked that the fact that the building was being used for ministry. Now, I really got an insight into that many years later. It's a long time later. I had been a youth pastor already, uh, and the church I was at, my, my home church was a large church. We had facilities that were, that were not designed for youth, but we had youth facilities. Then I went to a church in the L.A. area, and... Um, the youth group was, was smaller than it should be for the size of church, and we met like in a classroom when I first got there. And then as the youth group grew, we grew out of that and moved into what was the fellowship hall. Remember those? <laughs> fellowship hall. And every church got one, and they call it something. Like ours, um, it was called Myers Hall, and there was somebody named Myers years and years long before, and they named it after them. But, you know, we outgrew that, and so we had a little bit of an issue and I remember saying to the pastor, I say, we're going to have to, I'm not sure where we're going to go or what we're going to do. And um, so we were just talking things over. And he said, well, you should, be, you should use the sanctuary. Now, I, I cleaned churches. I, I knew what that meant. Because I, it's different when you clean. Does anybody else clean? Everybody, I mean, I know everybody cleans, but I'm talking about like, it's different. You, you know what I mean? Because I'm not going to leave it, I'm going to leave it different than somebody else who has never actually cleaned up after somebody. You know what I mean? So when he said that, I was a little bit in shock, and I said, Pastor, um, that would be great, but we're, you realize we're talking about junior hires here. <laughs> I mean, we do games. I make them eat stuff, stuff that makes messes. And he said, oh, I'm getting all choked up. He said, well, you know there's been ministry sometimes because there's a mess. He goes, we didn't build the building just for it to look pretty. He said, if we wanted to keep it clean all the time, we'd just keep everybody out. That's what he said. And I remember sitting there, and I flashed back to being a kid at one of my first jobs and thinking, no mess, no ministry. He said, we don't have this building just for it to look pretty. We could keep it pretty and just not use it. And he said, no, I know you're going to take care of it. And we did. I mean, we did a lot of crazy stuff in there. And, you know, I was thinking today as I was going through that, I was thinking, 
The only times we ever had anything go wrong, I remember one time we were doing this silly game and this kid tripped. He was a bigger kid. You know how you see somebody, maybe you've done this too, I've done it, where you start to fall, but you're not quite falling, but the more you're falling, you just keep moving and it makes it worse because the momentum gets bigger. And by the time he hit the wall, it was like a linebacker taking somebody out. And when he hit that wall, he happened to find probably the only spot in the whole church where they didn't have studs every 16 inches. And he put a hole in the wall his, the size of his whole body. And I'm looking at, oh my gosh, I can't fix that in two days. You know what I mean? I, I can fix that, but not before, before Sunday. And uh, I mean, we did get it fixed. And, and uh, you know, it, was, it wasn't a big deal. We could fix it. We could fix it. The only other thing that ever happened, we did a youth crusade where... We brought this really hot speaker in, and, and um, we worked it with all the schools in our area there where we got the big, big inflatables, you know, like adult-sized ones that kids can play on, and had them set up across the street, and kids were in them. And then we had this huge thing at the church. The, the main auditorium was completely packed, and when it was all over, a lot of kids got saved. And as I was looking, just cleaning stuff up, looking around with my team, and we found one pew had been ripped I remember talking to pastor. I'm thinking, yeah, we're gonna have. To, I don't know. I don't even know what to do. I don't even know where. Where do you Where do you get to fix a pew? I don't even know. You know. And I thought, well, I'm, I know plenty of upholstery people. We'll get it fixed. And and it was funny because he said, you realize those pews have been in there for. And he said, whatever it was, twenty some years. He goes, you know, it's the back pew too, so it's probably got the most use. <laughs> it's probably just worn through. <clears throat> no mess. No ministry. Now, that same pastor, and you got to watch us pastors, because there's times we'll, we'll tell you a story just to break your heart to, to get money out of you or something, but he was talking one day, I, I, and, and I, I honestly don't remember if it was a missions effort or what it was, but he was telling this story, which goes in line with this, and he said there was a college president, I think it was, who had come to, the, uh, to, to his board or something, and they needed money for something or whatever, and they weren't doing it or whatever. I can't remember the exact setup for this, but I do remember the story because every time I think about it, I think that might have been a little heavy-handed, but it makes a point really well. So since I'm not asking for money, I'll tell you the story. Here's what he said. He said, yeah, I, I had a son and, and um, he was beautiful. As he got older, I wanted everything for him the best. Sometimes I'd have to work extra hours and overtime to get him what he needed if it was cleats or an entry fee or extra food in the fridge as he became a teenager and cost me a lot of money. And can you feel it coming? And then one day, he tragically passed away. And guess what? He didn't cost me anything anymore. Even saying that, it chokes me up. But it's the same thing. No mess, no ministry. Ministry costs. But more importantly... Mess is everywhere, and mess is in your life, and mess in your life, a lot of times we look at it and we think, I don't want that in my life, but guess what? People are messy. Life is messy. Life is messy. If there's no mess, there's also no life. There's probably nothing going on in your life. This is a stupid story, but I'm going to tell it because I can't, it can't get it off my mind. One time when I was young, too, we had these, I had these, these uh, distant cousins, and they raised rabbits. Anybody ever raise rabbits? I used to think rabbits were cute until I took care of their rabbits when they were on vacation for two weeks. And I remember Lamar. His name was Lamar, that's cousin. And uh, he, 
ironically, Ben, he's the same guy, that lineman guy. But anyway, he told me, he goes, he goes, when you come, look at the cages. If it's not a mess, they're probably dead. <laughs> I'm like, what? And he goes, yeah, and if you don't see anything, you got to get your hand in there, feel around, and if nothing moves, you know, just throw them all away. I'm like, oh, my gosh. I mean, just so matter of fact, I'm like, these are bunnies. What about Easter and everything, you know? And, and he didn't care. They, they raised him and ate him. It wasn't like that, you know? It's like, I remember going to his house one day, and like, the chicken looks weird. It's not, it's not the right shapes. And he's like, it's not chicken. It's rabbit. Like, oh, but life is messy. I mean, real life is messy. The life you see in magazines and, the, and a lot of times even on TV, except, at, you know, those late night drama ones. But most TV, it's not real. It's messy. It's like this. You've seen that. People are messy. Perfect people probably aren't actually real people. At least they're not showing you the real thing, because real life isn't like that. It's just not that way. I don't care who we are. I mean, you, most of us probably want this orderly life, and, and maybe, maybe some of your life is, but then there's parts where it's not quite like you planned, and even where you are today may not be exactly how you planned it to be. There may have been things that didn't work out exactly what you thought. It's just messy. I mean, that's real. That's how it is. Remember those days? Maybe some of you are still in those days, but those days are over for us. But, and that's not one of ours, but I saw that picture and thought it was hilarious. But I mentioned already that ministry's uh, messy. And, and what's funny about that is, um, you know, and, and based on your personality, I mean, some people like things very structured. And I know that there's times where I'm really trying to accomplish something at my desk, and it seems like it takes me all day, and I'll come back and the computer's on the same spot that it was, you know, at, at, at 9 o'clock in the morning or 8 o'clock in the morning, and it's exactly the same. I'm thinking, I haven't done any of this today. What did I do? Well, this came up, and this came up, and this happened, and this, and this. And <clears throat> I was so relieved one day when, when a way smarter person than me said, ah, ministry is actually a lot of times about the interruptions. They are the ministry. You think about it, those, obviously the plan things are important and you have to get them done and that always happens, but, but so many times it's the interruptions. And I was thinking about it and somebody had said something about, with the exception of maybe the pool at Bethesda healing, because we don't really have any setup for that healing, it just says Jesus went to the pool of Bethesda and healed one guy. It wasn't like the other times where there's throngs of people coming, one guy, so we don't know about that one. But if you think about it, and, and, and feel free to look it up and let me know if I'm wrong, but all the others are like interruptions. Jesus was going here, and this happened, and this came up, and this was this. And so much of what we see in Scripture is like that. It's an interruption, but it's ministry. Probably my favorite sequence of that is, is uh, right here, and I know you're really familiar with this, but this is where Jarius comes up to Jesus and he said, let's just read it real quick. On the other side of the lake, the, the crowds welcomed Jesus because they had been there waiting for him. He went there to preach. Then a man named Jairus, a leader in the local synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come home with him. His only daughter was about 12 years old, uh, was dying. And then as Jesus went with him, interruption, he was surrounded by the crowds. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with a constant bleeding, and she could find no cure. Coming up behind Jesus, she touched the fringe of his robe, 
Immediately, the bleeding stopped. <laughs> he was interrupted by an interruption. You see that? It just cracked me up because I looked at it, and I think so many times in our life, it's messy, messy, messy. And we look at it, and we think, God, take this mess away. But if he did, it wouldn't be real life, and it wouldn't be really what he has for you. This, this may come a surprise to you, maybe not, but, but <clears throat> church isn't for perfect people. Now, the reason that might come as a surprise is because most of you are perfect. I get that. And so you probably look around and say, wow, he's right. It not, must not be because look at everybody else. But, but the fact is, it's not for perfect people. And I like perfect people. I know a few of them. I've seen them before. But the fact is, that's not what... Christ didn't come to save perfect people. And the, and the truth is, there's not many of them around anyway. And that's not what the church is for. You know, often I think, I, and not you, of course, but I think a lot of people look at the church and especially churches with staff and like the professional ministers. And so we do all of the work or whatever. And really all you need to do is just come and enjoy the ride as a church <clears throat> and, and come and go whenever it's convenient type thing. And, and it almost gets the impression that it's more of a cruise ship, you know, where you're, you're fed all the time and then, you know, you, you only exercise if you have to, you know, one of those things. And the sights are nice and pretty, but everybody else does all the work. But the fact is, that's not really a good picture of what the church is. A better picture would be a hospital ship. One where, where, where sick and dying people, I mean soul sick and dying people, come here and join our crew, and then we minister to them, and then they become part of the crew. And we all work on the ship, not only moving it forward, but but being the ones who are the nurses and the doctors and the exercise attendants. And we all do it together. And we move that ship forward and find more and more people who need help and, and pull them onto the ship. That's what it's supposed to be. But before you say amen, that's messy. Ask a nurse. Oh my gosh. When I spent some time in a hospital, I gained utmost expect for nurses and then CNAs or whatever you call the people who clean up the really messy parts, man, that's amazing. But that's real life. Life is messy. Church is messy. People don't come in all ready to go and perfect and, and giving tithes and perfect lives. That's not how it works. Because real people come in and they have troubled or broken marriages or, or life is frustrating and their kids aren't following Christ like they thought they would. And and, and finances are tight, and, and they've got all these issues because those are real-life, messy parts of who we are. And that's who the church is for. And that can be tough sometimes because if, because if you get too many people with the same mess, you could have a problem. But <clears throat> Jesus put it this way. He said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Six people, sick people do. I have come to call... Not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Can we be honest? Don't you hate those people who think they're righteous anyway? You, don't you really hate them? The world hates them. We hate them in the church too. It's just so obnoxious. It's like, who do you think you are? Jesus said it. We can say it. But those who know they are sinners. It's so refreshing when you see somebody who who has kind of an honest opinion of, you know what, I don't have it all together. 
I've got some messy stuff in my life and it needs fixing. Way easier to fix. You know what else I found? I found that very meaningful moments can happen right inside your mess. You know why that is, I think? This, This is just my opinion right here. I really think that people are often more open to God when they're honest and look inside their mess. Sometimes it's because we're desperate. And maybe you, like me, you've been in a mess and you've just cried out, God, I mean, you don't have time to pray the pretty prayer, right? Right? Has anybody ever been on a plane when it does something really scary? I was on a plane one time in my life where it dropped. Now, the, the things didn't come out of the ceiling. I kind of wanted that to happen just because I, I just wanted to see it. But, but it dropped. I don't know how far it dropped. It was like a foot or two, but, but it was enough really quick that, you know, everybody's cups went up in the air and everything went up in the air. It was awesome. And uh, here's what was the funniest thing is people crying out to God, <laughs> which I'm laughing. I shouldn't, I guess. But I mean, you should have heard them. Not one person on there prayed, oh, most mighty God, God of heaven and earth. Nobody did that. It was, God, oh my God. It was awesome. And then when it was all over, everybody's all embarrassed, like, oh, did anybody hear me? Yeah, we all heard you. <laughs> but when you're there, when you're there, you're crying out to him because you're at a point of need and it's recognized need that a lot of times you're, you're just ignore because you don't want the mess, but in the middle of the mess, you know it. Pastor mentioned, I mean, it was so true. You know, it, it doesn't, I mean, his, his, his dad was 100 years old, had lived an amazing, amazing life, but it's still a loss. And it still makes you think about all of our ultimate inevitable demise. I heard this line in a funeral, and I use it in every funeral now. I hope, um, you know, insanity has been defined as uh, doing the same thing and expecting different results. But a better definition of insanity is knowing something is inevitable and then not preparing for it. Like your own death. We're all going there. And every time I use that in a funeral, because there's somebody died. Can you imagine the looks on people's faces? And w- thankfully, that's what I'm there to do. I'm the pastor. I, I'm asked to say these things, <clears throat> which in normal, polite conversation, you probably wouldn't bring up. But the look on their face, they're like, oh, my goodness. They're open. You're open in the mess. This may sound weird. I like going to hospitals. I do. Because people need ministry then when they're all high and life's great and everything's wonderful and money's flush and everything's healthy and whatever they don't have time for that they don't care and that's fine i mean that's just how we are but when it's real and you're laying in a bed and you don't know what's next god can speak in a way that because you're open you're ready you're listening it's in the middle of the mess where you're having an illness maybe and you're flat on your back and you've got time and you can't sleep and you're laying there. I think, too, the, the victories are sweeter when you experience the mess. I believe this, too. That if you will listen and hear from him, there can be a message in the middle of your mess. That he can speak to you. Not only can he speak to you because you're ready to hear, 
but he's got things to tell you. And I think this is true. I really do. He's speaking to us all the time. It's just, we're not listening. It's just going right over us and by us. And we're busy doing our thing and we're distracted by wonderful things, good things. But then we get stopped in our tracks and we're middle of a mess and we're God, God, how did I get into this mess? I am certainly not saying that he did it to you. I've heard people say, and I understand it, they'll say, God, why are you doing this to me? What are you trying to teach me? As if he's doing this to you to teach you. But I I like to see it like this. He can teach you because you're finally listening. And he can do something amazing out of your mess because that's God and that's who he is and that's what he does. That's what he does. This... This portion of scripture in Psalm 103, let's, let's read it really, we'll just read through it real quick. The Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse us nor remain angry forever. He does not punish us for all of our sins. <laughs> he does not deal harshly with us as we deserve for his unfailing love to, toward those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. <laughs> he has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. Now you, like me, might stop and say, it's awful nice of him because I'm a mess, right? And I'm ripe for ministry because I'm a mess and there's, (laughs) right? And I don't deserve this. And that's true. That's what grace is. That is grace. And he's merciful to us by not giving us what we deserve. You know why that is? I love this next verse. Maybe you never thought about these verses all being connected together because so often we cherish different individual ones and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just verse 14 is really cool. It says, for he knows how weak we are and he remembers we are only dust. You know he made you, right? Now, he didn't leave you like you are and he doesn't intend to leave you like you are. And we all have personality quirks that need to be worked out and rough edges smoothed and all that's true. But ultimately, God has patience with his creation who he created. He knows you're a mess. I mean, everything's messy. The world is messy. People are messy. Life is messy. Being a human is messy. I mean, that's just how it is. But he doesn't leave us like that. He doesn't leave us like that. In fact, look at this for a minute. There's a great story about a woman caught in a mess and I know you're very familiar with it. Um, it. It's that story of the woman that caught in adultery. Remember that's If you haven't heard the story, they're trying to trap Jesus and, and trick him into saying or doing something that would be able to bring charges against him. So they bring this woman to him and throw her down, and they say, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. So what do you say? Moses says to Stoner, what do you say? So they're trying to trap him because... The Jews didn't have the legal authority under the Roman government to kill somebody, but the Jewish law said she deserved death. So they're trying to trap Jesus in that little trap there. So Jesus, clever, clever man. He doesn't doesn't buy into their trap. 
she's in a mess. She's caught red-handed, we'll say. Now, there's, I know a lot of us have questions like, where was the guy? It was unfair. All of that's true. And we don't know any of those details. All we know is the scripture says that Jesus kneels down and starts drawing or writing or something in the sand, in the dirt. We don't even know what he was doing. Now, there's a lot of theories, and they all, they all are just theories because we don't know. And I, I look at it like this. There's a lot of times in scripture that um, we want, as our 21st century minds, we want to know every, every detail. I mean, some of us are probably thinking, what was he wearing? But none of that mattered. The scriptures a lot of times tell us what, what we need to know, and then that's it. We don't need to know. Whatever he drew, we don't know. But he drew a little bit, and they kept badgering him. Then he stands up, and he says, whoever of you has never sinned, then you throw the first stone. So then the Bible says he kneels back down and starts drawing again. And then they start walking off one by one, oldest to youngest. It's a powerful story for a lot of reasons. One, I love that he didn't get caught in their trap. He's smarter than that. But the big thing and the thing I want to press on us tonight is he was in a mess and she did deserve it. And here's the little twist that preparing for this is the first time I thought of this before. And it's not original. I mean, somebody else thought of it and I read it. Who was the only one who didn't leave? The only one who had not sinned. He's the one who actually could have stoned her. Under, under the way Jesus set it up, whoever hasn't sinned, then you, you throw the first stone. Well, they all left because they've all sinned, but Jesus had never sinned. He actually could have stoned her. He knew what her mess was, but he had the mercy and grace, and he extended it to her in the middle of her mess. And I want you to tie that together with that verse, those verses we read in Psalms, because you understand that God never gives us what we deserve. And he goes further than that. And he, he, he goes the extra mile and steps into our mess with us. Under their, their societal rules, you know, he should, have, he should have never considered her worthy of this kind of attention. I mean, they just were so, so male-dominated and then class issues and all these issues tied up and, and Jewish teachers like that shouldn't have even addressed or talked to her. I mean, they had all these weird rules and he bypassed all of that and then he says to her, where are your accusers? The only one left who could have accused is him and he didn't. And she said, they're gone. And he said, neither do I condemn you, but go and sin no more. He knows we're messy and he confronts our mess, forgives us and sends us on over and over. You know what? He doesn't leave us like that because he, he embraces us in our mess and then he extends even further to us. I think about... Um, think about the uh, prodigal son. Remember, he was away and feeding pigs, and then he runs back, and his dad just hugs him. Beautiful picture. He doesn't even clean up first. That's our God. But, but somebody else doesn't do that to us. The enemy of your soul, he likes to remind you how messy you are, doesn't he? What's bad about that, too, is our memories remember, too, how messy we are. And it may be mess that you've cleaned up from a long time ago, but he likes to say, hey, remember when this, or remember this, and, and you did that. 
God doesn't do that, though. This is what he does. He does miracles even being messy. And I, this, this one healing is really funny in the scripture because so many times when Jesus healed, he just spoke it. There's times like that Jairus, that story there that we were talking about Jairus and then the lady interrupted him and he was going to heal the daughter. Well, then the messenger comes and says, hey, don't bother the teacher anymore. Your daughter's dead. And Jesus says, no, it's okay. She's fine. And she's healed right then. No theatrics, just boom, she's healed. But in this story, in, in uh, John chapter 9, he heals a man born blind. And what's really funny about it is the disciples are really curious how he got in his mess. So they're asking Jesus, is he blind because his parents sinned or he sinned? Because in their day, there was a theology or a train of thought. It wasn't biblical. It wasn't in the Old Testament. But there was a train of thought that said, if you were blind or crippled or anything like that, especially if you were born that way, that it had to be the result of sin. Either sin, get this is kind of crazy, but they actually thought that baby could sin in the womb and the punishment would be blindness. They did think that. That's why the disciples asked what they did. Or that the parents had sinned and that's why the baby was born blind. So they're asking Jesus to split this theological hair and we do the same thing, don't we? You see messy people. And you want to find out, why is it so messy? Right? And Jesus says, hold on, guys. Let me show you the power of God. And then he heals him like this. I don't know why. It makes me laugh. What makes me laugh about it is because we want it all neat and clean, and we want it tight in a bow, and we want it always the same, and we want a little formula for this that's going to fix this. And it's just not like that. It's just not like that. And I wonder from the blind guy's perspective, I've never been blind. Have you all done that, though, where you blindfolded yourself and walked around, maybe with a friend or maybe in a class or something? Have anybody ever done that? And you almost develop a little heightened sense of hearing. But for a blind person, they say it's really heightened. What was he thinking, do you think, when Jesus started spitting? I mean, I'm sure he's sitting there thinking, I wonder who that is. And then he feels the wet mud on his eyes. And he's thinking, nah, that couldn't be but that's what he did. Because you know what? He's not offended by our mess. He's just not. And the God of the universe steps right into our mess and heals us. He creates miracles in the middle of a mess that you may never, ever see coming. Why? Because he loves you in your mess. He just loves you that way. Whatever your mess is, if it's lust or lying or cheating or failures or quitting or hating or unforgiveness or holding grudges or mistakes from the past, those things are past and they don't determine your future. Instead, there's a God who wants to step in to that mess and heal it and make it right. Maybe today your marriage doesn't feel right. Your life doesn't feel right. Your job Maybe your ministry or your volunteer role or your family or something about what's going on in your life, you're just thinking, God, it is a mess. Here's what I want you to remember tonight. He'll make a miracle right in the middle of your mess. Because no mess, what? No ministry. Don't look at your mess and think, oh, it's over and it's horrible and I can't do anything for God. Instead, look at it and think, 
What is God going to do out of this? Because when he looks at you, he doesn't see a failure and an impossible thing. What he sees is the potential and the possible, and he sees something that he can make beautiful. Because he's God. He does that. If it was left to me, yeah, I'd run out of ideas, and I, and I, I would be stumped. But he's not like that. He is infinitely smarter than us. He's infinitely more creative. He is God. That's the definition of who he is. He can do that. And he loves to do that. He loves to do that with his creation and make new things. That's what he does. That's what he does. So here's my challenge to you tonight and my invitation for prayer for you tonight. He will make a miracle out of your mess. Where you see failure, he sees opportunity. Do you think it looks hopeless? Just ask yourself, hopeless to who? To me? Yeah, that's okay, because you're not God. It's not hopeless to him. Here's what you need to do. If you're any of those things and you have any of those things going on, maybe it's even the enemy saying, hey, this is you, and this is what you were or what you are, and it's okay. You can just remind him of, hey, that's okay, because I've got a God who steps into my mess, and he makes it bigger and better, and he does new things. But it might require, are you ready to turn that mess over to him? This may sound weird, and I don't even know how this works, but you ready for him to put a little mud in your mess? Because that could get awkward, and I don't know what that means. It might mean that he steps in, and it doesn't look like what you thought it would look like, or there's correction from somebody you didn't expect it from, or he wants to make an adjustment that you think is kind of weird. I mean, really, if, if, if anybody but Jesus came at you with spit and mud, would you, <laughs> would you let him pray for you like that? I don't think so. No offense, I don't even think I let my wife do that. I mean, that just seems weird. But, but Jesus may come to you and say, I need to change some things in your life, and it may look to you like, hey, this is really bizarre. It may mean that you have to change some things, quit some things, surrender some things, do some things different, like that definition of insanity I mentioned. You may have to actually let go of some things or people or associations or things you feel like you deserve, or you may have to adjust your schedule and spend more time with him than you think you needed to. I wrote this down and I thought, well, that sounds funny, but you may even have to be patient. I know. Patient. That's all I got there. Patient. Wow. Wow. Dave, can you put some music on? Could you guys shut your eyes for just a second? <clears throat> I was going to have you all raise your hand if you had mess in your life, and I thought, well, that's stupid, because that's who we are. Who we are. I was going to have you raise your hand if, um, if maybe there were some things that the devil brings up from time to time about your past or things that you had already had forgiven. And then I thought, oh, that's stupid too, because we all have that. And I'm not going to have you raise your hands, but I do want you to think about this. And as you, as you think about it, open your heart and mind to the Holy Spirit and let him speak to you. This is how the Holy Spirit works. In case you're not familiar with this, one of the things he does 
it says in the book of John that he convicts us of sin. And what that means is that he speaks to us in our inner person and he says, yes, that's you. Yes, I'm talking about you. And that may, when I say speak, and I'm not necessarily talking about an audible voice, but it may be an impression or a or a heaviness or a burden that you say, wow, I need to fix this or that. So let me just ask you some questions and I'm going to pause a little bit after each one of them because I want you to give the Holy Spirit time to speak and I want you to listen because I think a lot of times we get so overwhelmed with our mess that we want to just rush on and fill our lives with a sense of busyness that we don't listen. First thing is, maybe your mess is, is some things in your life that didn't exactly turn out like you thought they would. Maybe a relationship, maybe your kids, maybe a job, maybe a trajectory that way. Whatever that mess is, whatever God's putting on your heart right now to think about, let me just ask you, are you ready to turn that mess over to him? Are you ready for that? Are you ready to change some things? Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would speak to us about what those things are.